0: Well, good morning, South Shore. And good morning to friends watching online. Good to see all of you here today. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and let's open together to Luke chapter 2. Thank you, team, for leading us. It's great to hear these songs and to worship. Wonderful time of year. Well, our anticipation is growing. We're only T minus five days from the big day. Woo! Kids, you excited? Who's excited? You excited? All right, kids and big kids. (laughs) Big kids. Good. Well, in Advent, we're leaning into seeing what God has done. And this is a time, as Blair has just prayed, that a lot of people are anxious about the future. There's a lot of people who really are feeling uh, just a a lot of weight. But Christmas tells us that we don't have to be afraid. Because as we saw our first week, we don't have to be afraid because our King is coming. He came and He's coming again. We don't have to be afraid, as Peter shared with us last week because our God is sovereign over all of the details. God's in control of it all. And I love this song that I've been hearing recently. It's a Christmas song that invites us to not only think about it, but to experience what Christmas is all about, to experience it personally. Here's what the words say, it's called Noel. Noel, Noel, come and see what God has done. Noel, Noel, the story of amazing love, the light of the world given for us, Noel. And those words say, come and see what God has done. Come and ponder it, come and experience, come and think about it. What has God done? Well, in essence, the, the Christmas story is that the eternal king poured himself into the frame and the flesh of a baby. In his amazing love, God rescued us. That's what Christmas is about. And at Christmas, we see God's amazing faithfulness, his indescribable generosity. This is the pinnacle, the sending of his son. How many people have ever seen the Charlie Brown Christmas special? Put your hands up if you've seen Charlie Brown. It's pretty much everybody. Well, Charlie Brown Christmas special is around, uh, I think it's like 55 years old. It first debuted on December the 9th, 1965. Do you Remember that, Scott, when you were a little guy? (laughs) Well, Charlie Brown isn't having a good day. Uh, I actually, you know, (laughs) uh, even though I'm talking about this, I don't actually remember having seen it, so maybe I should go home and figure if it's on TV somewhere tune it in, but I did see this part that I'm gonna tell you about. Charlie Brown is not having a good day and in exasperation, he says, can anybody tell me, does anybody know what Christmas is all about? And then sure enough, Linus, Linus comes on this, the scene and he steps onto the, the stage and he says, Charlie Brown, I can tell you what Christmas is all about in his little Linus voice. And then he recites the passage this morning that we are going to hear from Luke chapter two. When he finishes reading it, he says, Charlie Brown, that's what Christmas is all about. That's what Christmas is all about. And this morning, the coming of good news in Jesus Christ is good news to the whole world. It's good news to a lost world, what Christmas is all about. You ready to hear it today? All right, we'll let's stand together. Let's hear now the word of the Lord. I'm going to read from verse 6 to 14. Hear now the word of the Lord. Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling claws and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, why don't we read this together if you've got your Bibles open. This is good for a whole bunch of voices. Let's do it together. Verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. All right, well, let's jump into this text. And As we do, there's four things that we are going to discover about the good news of Christmas. Here's the first thing. The good news comes to the humble. And before us is the most famous text in the Christmas story. This is the event of events with eternal and universal significance. So where did this first news get delivered to? Who did it come to? Well, the first recipients of the royal birth of the king of kings was to the unlikely. This great news came to ordinary shepherds. We see that in verse eight. In the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. The Christmas night was the fulfillment of the waiting of the ages, after 400 years, the silence was broken. It seemed as if God wasn't doing anything, if all was quiet, but the silence of heaven was broken, and this was the most unlikely group for the big reveal. God did not reveal the birth of his son to the most powerful. The most powerful came, but he wasn't revealed to the most powerful. It wasn't to Caesar Augustus or Corinius. God revealed Jesus' arrival to the least powerful with the least influence. These weren't educated, they weren't respected, they weren't viewed as credible, they weren't kings or governors or mayors, they weren't religious people, they weren't people who had any credibility in society, they were viewed as dishonest and ceremonially unclean because of their line of work. Because of what they did seven days a week taking care of sheep, they weren't able to attend worship as faithful Jewish worshipers were in fact, they were probably raising lambs that would one day be used for the slaughter in the temple. These shepherds very, very close to Bethlehem where Jesus would be born. So from a human perspective, shepherds were not esteemed, but God did esteem them. He counted them worthy of this wonderful news, this wonderful task. And not only would these people be the first recipients of the good news, they would be the first tellers. They would be the first evangelists this is the group of people that God chose. God placed a high calling on the lives of those who were overlooked by others. Jesus said the same thing in Luke chapter 6. This is a theme that we're going to see in Luke's gospel. Jesus said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Who does the kingdom of God come to? Who does the message of the kingdom of God come to? It comes, Jesus said, to those who are poor. This would be the shepherds. And God reveals himself in his will and his ways to the poor and those who are humble in spirit. Most often in the scriptures, think about who God chose. We've already seen that. We saw it last week. Think back to that. God chose and used the humble. Mary was such a person. In her song, and her testimony of God's grace in her life, she says this. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of His servant. God works through the humble. He comes to the humble. Maybe you've noticed that God doesn't do things the way that we do them, right? If it was left up to us, we would have chosen a much more credible group to be the announcers. We would have chosen a platform that had a a broader range of believability. We would not have chosen this group because if something was so important, we would have done something different. But instead, God chose the lowly, And I want you to hear this today, that God comes to the broken of life and he pours his grace in his favor. And that sounds like the story of our lives. We are people who are broken by life in so many ways. And praise God, he comes to us in our need. That's the way God works. It's the way he's always worked. For the Bible says this, for though the Lord is on high, he regards the lowly. He dwells in the high and holy place, but also, the Bible says, with him who is of contrite, and lowly spirit, that's the way God works. The Apostle Paul picked up the same idea in 1 Corinthians chapter one, he says this, God chose what is foolish, sounds like the shepherds, sounds like us, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong, and the gospel comes to the humble. The gospel came to these shepherds, and when we think about shepherds, we think back in the Bible to other shepherds, we think to Abraham, and to Moses, and of course to King David who was a shepherd. The promise came to David that one day there would be an offspring of his who would be the ultimate deliverer a thousand years later. And this message came to the shepherds on the night of Jesus' birth about the greatest salvation ever known, the coming of his son. 600 years before Jesus arrived, the sovereign God promised through the prophet Ezekiel that what all of the Old Testament shepherds had failed to be and failed to do in neglecting his people and leading them astray, God would do himself. Listen to this wonderful promise, speaking of Jesus that God himself declared 600 years before. Ezekiel writes, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them, he shall feed them and be their shepherd. So when all the human shepherds that God had called failed, God said, I'll take care of it. I'll send that shepherd. It'll be my son. To the shepherds in the field that night came the good news of the coming of the good shepherd. He was not only the good shepherd, he was also the lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. All of these pictures for us in that field. I don't know if anyone is in need of some good news. Probably all of us are today. Well, the good news comes to the humble. As you humble yourself before God, admitting your need, admitting that I'm gonna be done with doing things my own way, admitting my need of help, admitting the fact that there's a shepherd of my soul, that there's a lamb of God who takes away my sin. As I do that, God pours his grace upon us. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. This is the gospel, this is the good news, and it comes to the humble. The second thing we see about the good news today is it comes in glory comes to the humble, and the good news comes in glory. Well, I want you to think with me about a birth announcement. A birth announcement is a big deal. It's a big deal, rightly so, right? The new life coming into the world is a miraculous event. We should celebrate it. We had one of those happen in our house two days ago. We had a birthday. Now, in the old days, think back with me 25 years ago. Those are the old days. Before the Internet, when you had a baby, you didn't post something on Facebook or Instagram. What would you do? You took out an ad in the newspaper. It was expensive. It's a lot cheaper on the internet, let me tell you. We did a few of those in our day. The proud mom and dad would take out a little article, a little ad in the newspaper, and if you had a little bit extra money, you'd put the picture beside it, and you would tell everybody living in your city about this wonderful news, this baby that was just born into your family. It was the expression of joy, and you wanted everybody to know about it. Well, Jesus' birth is the most important birth ever in the history of the world, Yet, it wasn't announced in the way we would announce it. And it happened seemingly unnoticed in an obscure place. In fact, in a setting very unfit for a mother who was about to give birth or a newborn baby. There was nothing glorious about the place that Jesus was born. There was nothing proper. There was nothing regal or majestic about it. There was no baby showers. There was no uh, publicity in the way that we would do it. But we saw last week that God had every detail orchestrated and ordained. And what happens in that moment that Peter talked about last week when Jesus was born, it really set up a whole whole set of contrasts, didn't it? Because it it was the dark of night and it was quiet and it was obscure and we're gonna see that that all changed in just an instant. God was saying, look, I'm gonna show you exactly how important this is. I'm gonna break into the obscurity. God was in control of the timing and the place and the circumstances of Jesus' birth. He is sovereign over our history. He's sovereign over our heartaches, our headaches. He's sovereign over the kings and the crises of our world. And this obscurity of Jesus' birth was about to change. It would come as a birth announcement like it would never come before. Verse nine says this, and the angel of the Lord appeared to them. Here's where the silence and the dark was gonna be broken. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. The angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Well, how did the good news come? It came in glory, and these shepherds who were doing their job as usual, another night, it was an ordinary night, which would actually turn out to be anything but ordinary, their world was turned upside down, and that's what happens when God shows up, They were keeping warm by a fire. Some of them were sleeping, some of them were talking. And all of a sudden, in the midst of this, glory exploded all around them. This quiet, this dark night absolutely was transformed with the the brightness and the appearance of this angel and the glory of God. There was no more obscurity, there was no more silence. And one minute this was happening and the next, the night was shattered by the brightness of God's glory and the appearance of this angel. I've never seen an angel, but I imagine these guys were pretty pretty terrified. That's exactly what the text says. One familiar Christmas carol recounts this event. While shepherds watched their flocks by night, all seated on the ground, maybe you know these words, the angel of the Lord came down and glory shone around. Now, I don't think we can appreciate the magnificence of the glory of God. It says that they were filled with great fear. They were terrified at this sight. Silent night has this line in it. It says, shepherds quaked at the sight with good reason. So let's stop for a second and ask ourselves the question, what is the glory of God? What are we talking about here? Simply put, the glory of God is the manifestation of his person, of his presence, and of his power. This is is God revealing who he is in all of his glory, all of his brightness. Have you ever stared at the sunshine? You're not supposed to do that, right? Sometimes you can kind of get a glimpse of it coming over the horizon, But if it's right in your eyes, it's gonna burn your eyeballs. And the glory of our Son is nothing compared to the glory of our God. The glory of our God is the manifestation of His person, of His presence, of His power. And this glory was shining in their darkness, shining upon them just with absolute brilliance without notice. Now the glory of God is so awesome and so powerful that it is terrifying to humans. We sing a hymn like that, that we we can't see the glory of God because he is holy, holy, holy. The Bible says in Ezekiel that no one can see his glory and live. God is too bright, too great, too glorious for us to behold this unveiled glory. But it wasn't always that way. What am I saying? Well, once Adam and Eve walked with God in this perfect world, in a perfect garden, they enjoyed his perfect presence and they enjoyed the glory of God. But because of their rebellion, their sin, the falling away, because of their disobedience, they and we have lived an estranged life from God, living under judgment, living in the fear of the glory of his presence. That's what happened when, in that act of rebellion, sin and death and chaos were released into the world. We read about it in Genesis chapter three. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Adam, in his sinful state, riddled with shame and guilt, could no longer walk with God as he had before. All of a sudden, he was afraid of God's presence, and we, brothers and sisters, have been afraid and hiding ever since, but we have been longing to return to walk with God and to live in the basque and the glow of his glory and love. In the Old Testament times, what happened to the glory of God? God's glory came to the tabernacle and it came to the temple. But because of Israel's persistent sin and rebellion and idolatry, in Ezekiel chapter 11, it says that the glory of God left the temple and removed himself from his people. God's glory would not reappear all of those years, those decades and those hundreds of years until when? Until this very night. That night, the night of Jesus' birth, the glory of God would reappear again in the person of Jesus. That is amazing. So what we know about this is the birth of Jesus is the revelation of the glory of God. It's the return of the glory of God to the earth in the person of Christ in the form of a baby. Jesus, this small little baby, is the height of the revelation of God himself. This display of glory was God telling us that God had come to the earth. God himself had come. John himself writes in chapter one, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And listen, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who was at the father's right side, excuse me, who was at the father's side. He has made him known. So what does John want us to see? He wants us to see that to see Jesus is to see the glory of God. And to know Jesus is to know the Father. And to love him as he is is to worship him because he is the revelation of the glory of God. And so what what do we take from this? Well, because of Jesus, we no longer have to be afraid of the glory of God. The glory of God is revealed in his Son. Well, these shepherds were terrified, and the first words that came out of the mouth of the angel in the midst of this overwhelming glory, this explosion of the radiance of God's person and His presence and His power. It was the message that came to them and it's a message that comes to the world today. Two words, fear not, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. The angels reassured these frightened, these stunned shepherds that something really great was happening and as, as an aside, this command, don't be afraid, happens right at Jesus' birth and at his resurrection. It's, it's as if this command bookends his birth and his death and his resurrection. This is what he tells them, don't be afraid. Because the good news is this of Christmas. The good news, the coming of Jesus in glory tells us that we can trade our fears for great joy. He's about to tell them that. Take all that you're afraid of, all that terrifies you, and instead find the great joy that comes through Jesus Christ. This good news is good news of great joy. This good news is also a worldwide gospel. It's an invitation to all people to come home, to come back, and to be saved. To walk before God in reverent fear and adoring awe and humility. The coming of Jesus brings great joy because he is the good news, the gift of God. And his birth is the message of reconciliation with God and victory over sin him doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. And today I hope the sense of that great joy, the fact that you don't need to be afraid, fills your heart with wonder and awe. This good news first comes to the humble, second comes in glory. Here's the third thing we see. The good news comes in Jesus. As you read through Luke's writings in the gospel in the book of Acts, one of his key themes is the idea that proclamation of the gospel of the good news comes to the broken and humble. So how would we summarize the gospel really succinctly? You see it on the screen. One sentence, what's the gospel? What is this good news that Luke is talking about that comes in Jesus? God in his compassion sent a savior, his son, to save sinners. I'm gonna say that again. The gospel is that God in his compassion sent a savior, his son, to save sinners. This long-awaited news of God's favor came to these shepherds in a display of brilliant glory. So we've talked about what happened, but what was the news? What was the content of the message that the angel shared? You see it in verse 11. Let's look at it together. The angel says, and he's delivering the good news. Here it is. Here's the content. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling claws and lying in a manger. Now if you watch Charlie Brown every year for the last 55 years, or this year or last year, or read about it or heard about it in Sunday school or were part of a pageant when you were a little child, probably you're very familiar with this story. You've heard this verse before. But the problem with familiarity is is what? Familiarity robs us of wonder. It robs us of amazement. When we become too familiar with something, we just tend to take it for granted. And we lose the excitement and we lose the joy and we lose the celebration of something that we once cherished. And this is so important, this is so radical that we cannot allow ourselves to become too familiar with the story. John Piper, talking about the significance of it, says this. When this news landed on the earth, the effect was extraordinary because the news was extraordinary. Nothing like this had ever happened before. Nothing like it has happened since. Something absolutely new had entered history. One could even say a whole new history began with the coming of Jesus. And what happened that day was to change the world and to change our lives. And we're here today because we are changed by what happened on that night. To the shepherds, this good news, though, was not just a piece of information it wasn't just knowledge it wasn't simply objective fact it was a personal reality right he says this he says unto you this is something that was going to affect their lives personally and what we could take away is that christianity is not merely ideas to believe it's not merely theological correctness christianity is a person to believe christianity is a savior to encounter it's a god to love The angel said to them unto you is born and when a baby is born something new is happening and the news to the shepherds was something new was happening there was a new day there was a new work of god something new was bursting on the earth something that was going to change the world and it was a baby this news was also real they were given a sign the angel said go check it out go find out you're going to find this baby This is where he's going to be. This is what he's going to look like. This is the town he's going to be. Go find out. Go check it out. This was real news. This news was accessible close by in the city of David in this feeding trough. This manger, this rough, raw, probably dirty manger where animals fed would become the holy of holies. And this baby was not far off. If they would simply seek him, they would find him and they would worship him. Well, the shepherds weren't told the name of the baby, but they were told his identity, and they were given his titles. And his titles would announce his work. They were told that the baby was Savior and Christ the Lord. Savior means the fact that God was gonna rescue people who were lost. And all over the world today, people are seeking a savior. We're looking for the person who will bring peace. We're looking for the person who will bring an end to injustice. We're looking to a person who will make all the wrongs right, who will guide us and care for us. To the hearers of Luke's gospel, this was obviously a familiar term because the emperor, the Roman emperor, was called the Savior. It was written of Julius Caesar, these words, calling him the Savior, listen, it says this, Julius Caesar was described as the God, capital G, who has become manifest, and universal savior of human life. Wow. Julius Caesar, the emperor, the president, the prime minister, whoever's in charge, the leader, took on this title of the God who has become manifest, basically claiming deity, claiming the fact that this individual should be worshipped and could be looked to to save human life. Well, the coming of Jesus served notice to the world, serve notice to the Roman Empire, serve notice to all people that God had come near and that the real Savior had arrived, the real true God, the real King. There is no Savior like Jesus. There is no other Savior like Jesus. Caesar, take notice. The King is born. And Jesus did for us what David the shepherd could never be, could never do, what Caesar would never do. The gospel tells us that we are in a world lost in sin, we are sinners in need of a savior. But the move of God in the world through Christ was not for judgment, but it was for saving. John writes this, he said, we have seen, and testify this, this is what Christmas is about, that the Father has sent his Son to be the savior of the world. He came to be a savior. Jesus didn't come to make us prosperous. He didn't come to make us wealthy. He didn't come to rescue us from unfulfilled lives. He didn't come simply to be an example of kindness or to overthrow the government, he came to be our savior. He came to deal with our root issue, which is sin, the wages of sin, being death and hell. Jesus came to deal with our deepest needs and our most desperate conditions so that we could come home. This is the good news. Not only was he a savior, this baby is also, the angel said, Christ the Lord. That word Christ is a New Testament term. It's the New Testament equivalent of the idea in the Old Testament, Messiah, which means the anointed one or the chosen one. And the idea that the Bible uses for this idea of Messiah or Christ, which are really the same thing, is that God would send a deliverer to the world. God would send a mediator and a deliverer to fix the problems. And the expectation was that one day, this is what all Israel was looking for, they were going to send, or God was going to send a king to them, this divinely appointed savior king, to deliver them. Jesus himself understood his role, and in Luke chapter four, quoting from Isaiah chapter 61, he said this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Jesus knew that he was the chosen one. He was God's son. The spirit upon him to bring this deliverance, to bring this news, this gospel to the poor. There it is again. This morning, If we sit here and listen to this message, realizing that this this is my savior, this is my God, because I understand that, that I am a sinner and I know I need a savior. And let me ask you this question. Those of you who are here and those who are watching, have you bowed your knee to Jesus Christ and embraced this one who is the chosen one, who is the promised one? Have you acknowledged today your sinfulness and your need of a savior? The good news comes to the humble, the good news comes in glory, and the good news comes in Jesus. And here's the final thing the good news, this text tells us, comes for people everywhere. It's glorious news that comes for people everywhere. Verse 13. Look at it in your Bible again. Luke writes And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So the gospel comes and it lands on people. The angels interpret the birth of Jesus from heaven's perspective. They're telling what's going on. This is not just the birth of another baby, although this is definitely a strange birth in an unusual way. God's rescue plan is revealed and the angels talk about that plan, telling them that this is the the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. This is the birth of Jesus for the glory of God. Matthew Henry writing about it says this, God's goodwill to men manifested in sending the Messiah redounds to his praise. So what's happening is being lifted up to the praise of God. Henry says other works of God are for his glory, but the redemption of the world is for the glory of God, for his glory in the highest. The coming of Jesus is the ultimate expression of glory to the name of our God. And what happens is there's going to be a celebration, not just with one angel, but many, many angels, and Luke in his gospel, in his writings, when he writes about a miraculous event, there's always the response, which is always praise and celebration, and this coming of Jesus is a heaven-sized celebration. It is glorious, it's a stunning display of magnificence, and the scope and display of God's glory is in proportion to the significance of the event, and here what we see is all of heaven's host explode with praise, so one minute, there's one angel talking to you shepherds. The sky is lit up with the glory of God. But then, the next thing that happens is this. The sky is filled with a multitude of the heavenly hosts, God's angel armies, God's heavenly entourage, his servants. And we don't know how many there were. It says there was a multitude. And in the book of Revelation, we see this. Chapter 5, just a picture in a different time in history but you can just get the picture of what that sky might have looked like that night. Revelation 5 says this, Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels. How many were there? Numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. These angels who saw the glory of the second person of the Trinity from eternity, now saw this baby come to earth, filling the sky with their voices and their praise of God, declaring glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. The coming of Jesus was glory to God and it was good news for people everywhere. The implications of what happened that night Reach to everyone who has ever lived, including us today. The Christmas carol says, Fear not, said he, for mighty dread had seized their their troubled mind. What's that next line? He says, Glad tidings of great joy I bring to you and all mankind. This is good news for people of all the earth, for every tribe and language and people and nation. This is good news for the Middle East. It's good news for Mexico. It's good news for Dubai. It's good news for Denmark. It's good news for Boston. It's good news for Barry. It's good news for Algeria and for Albania. It's good news for your neighborhood. This is the good news that comes to us. The good news, Paul Tripp writes, that God knew that the only way to fix everything sin had broken was to give us the ultimate gift, which was the gift of himself. This is good news for all the people of the world. Jesus' coming is glory to God. It redounds, it resounds to the glory of God and it comes to bring peace on earth, real and lasting peace. Peace on earth that the world is looking for is elusive where Christ is not. Where there is no Christ, there is no peace. I love the fact that peace that the angel is talking about represents all the good, all the favor, all the blessings that God wants to pour on those he loves. I say, Lord, pour your peace upon us today. We need that. Peace with God vertically. Peace in our hearts. Peace with others. Peace in the midst of life circumstances. I was talking to a lady just this week who attends this church. She's telling me the story that it's been a really rough time and she knows God's peace in her life because she's trusting him and hanging on to the Lord who's hanging on to her. Peace in our hearts, peace with God comes to us and came that night as Christ came to bring reconciliation with God and new life through his life and his death and his resurrection. This peace that Jesus gives, let me just tell you, is not a reward for good behavior. It's not because we're exemplary. It's because it's a gift. It's the free gift of God. And you know that if I offer you a gift today, I can wrap it, I can give it, I can buy it, I can intend it for you, but it doesn't become yours until something happens, until you receive it. And this good news of Jesus Christ for people everywhere needs to be received. Have you received that gift today? There's two groups of people listening to this sermon today. The first is those to whom this message perhaps is new or to those who have never taken it seriously. This gift that God has given in His Son is given for us to you. Have you reached out to receive the forgiveness, the peace that God brings through the death of His Son, Jesus Christ? This good news of the Gospel comes to people who are humble, who admit their need of a Savior. And today, this Christmas gift can be yours if you receive Jesus Christ, opening up your heart, surrendering your life to Him, and finding that He will change your life forever The second group of people are are those to whom this message is already good news and it's a living reality in your life because Christ is living in your life. And to us, I would say, come let us adore him, our rescuing savior. Let's be recaptured with the wonder and the awe of the grace found in Jesus Christ for us, this greatest gift ever given. Finally, I wanna say that in a world where every news update that we seem to hear is a constant barrage of bad news, Radio, TV, whatever your news feed is, there is good news that eclipses all of that bad news in one single message. The news that we're hearing is better than us being able to be together all together again. It's better than us being able to sing together again, and I know we we so want to do that. The news is better than hearing that Adam and Angie might have reached their 100% of support. That would be good news. Probably getting close. It's better than friends that you've been praying for come to know Jesus. The news that we're talking about today is better than all of the good news that you could ever want or imagine. Those things are really good, but there's news that is so ultimately good that it has the power to change a heart, a life forever, and drive out all fear. This is the good news of Christmas. This is what Christmas is all about. It's the story of eternally good news. It's not just good news, it's the best news ever. Our God has come for us. Jesus has come to us, and he is with us. This good news, it comes It comes to the humble. It comes in glory. It comes in Jesus, and it comes to people everywhere. So come to Jesus today, and receive his gift of eternal life. Come to Jesus today, believers, and worship your Savior, who is Christ the Lord. He is the giver of everlasting life. Let's pray. Lord, what could we say to you today except, Lord, that we adore you? You are a good and faithful and holy God, the God who so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so, Father, we thank you today for Jesus. We love you. Lord, we receive you today. And Lord, I pray if there's someone here listening or someone who's watching on the internet, that, Lord, today would be the day that the gift of Christmas, Jesus Christ, would change this individual's life. Lord, that people would reach out to you, admitting their need of a Savior, surrendering their life and embracing you, the gift of love given in the, in the grace and the heart and the love of the Father. And so, Lord, we, would you stir us again and, and reawaken us and recapture our hearts as we worship you, the newborn King.